Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Rookie is a free serialized audiobook meant for mature audiences. Written and performed by number one New York Times bestselling novelist, Scott Sigler. For links to order a young adult version of this book without all the cussing, in print, ebook, or audiobook, visit scottsigler.com slash the rookie one word. This podcast contains mature situations, adult language, and lots and lots of violence. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, junkies. If you've been listening to my talkie talk or following me on the social media, you might know I tested positive for good old COVID. That was 10 days ago as I'm recording this, and I'm pretty much recovered. The worst of it was a chest cough, which I still got to some extent, but it isn't that bad. I continued to work away on the second draft of Shakedown, book one of the Crypt series. I will not lie, this story has gotten away from me. We're at 145,000 words, so it is another big, fat, girthy tome. The thing was, it was supposed to be 100,000 words. I have six point-of-view characters, and that might have been a bit of an overreach, but I felt it was really important to get people in different positions on this starship to kind of give you an overall view for how things worked. We will see how the publisher's edit goes. Uh, It's really up to them at this point, and they have not seen any of it yet. I hope to be done with that draft before episode 11 hits, and then I will be working on a secret project I can't mention for a couple of weeks, then GFL Book 7's second draft. Nothing but work for you people, but I don't mind as long as you're happy. I hope your summer is going great and you are not getting scorched by the heat. Let's get caught up on the story, and then we're all going to go make s'mores on the sidewalk with, like, no fire at all. Previously on The Rookie, Quentin endured the combine and a week of practice aboard the team bus. Finally, he reaches the irradiated planet Ionath home of the Krakens, and the place where his upper-tier football career will truly begin. Quentin hadn't calmed down much by the time the shuttle, loaded up with rookies, eased out of the landing bay and into space. It didn't help that Denver and Milford, the perpetuators of Pine's little practical joke, sat only a few feet away. At least this time, they kept their distance. The wasted red landscape of Ionath filled the front view screens. Plants colored orange, red, and yellow seemed to flourish, but there was no plant large enough to hide the planet's war scars. Just over an Earth century had passed since the Sklornos' 25,000 megaton bombs exterminated all life on the planet, and the 10-mile-wide bomb craters remained clearly visible. Ionath City, in fact, was built inside one of those craters. The clear dome gave off brilliant reflections from Ionath's sun. The sprawling city looked like a reddish egg, sunny side up, 
with the dome being the yoke. As the shuttle approached the city, Quentin could see how Ionath Stadium got its nickname. The round stadium sat right under the dome's center, and from this far up looked like an iris to the dome's cornea. The Big Eye. His new home, at least, for this season. Circular streets surrounded the dome in ever-widening bands, like flash-frozen ripples from a pebble dropped in a pond. Straight streets also radiated outward from the dome, or more accurately, Quentin noticed, all streets led into the city center, straight to the stadium. I hear they really know how to put on a party in Ionel City, Yasud said, a wide smile on his face. I can't wait to get out on the town. Isn't it a bit radioactive out there? Yasud rolled his eyes. Oh, come on, you hick. I'm not going into the outer city. I'm talking about nightlife under the dome. There's hundreds of bars and restaurants and women, kid. Lots of women. Yasud cast a glance back at the starting scleral receivers. Human women. He gave Quentin a friendly elbow. Unless you're committed to your harem over there. Gwen's face turned red again, a feeling to which he was unfortunately becoming accustomed. Red was also the predominant color of Ionath City. From outside the dome, buildings looked rugged and somewhat organic, more like they'd been grown than built. The tallest ones topped out around 30 stories. The shuttle dove straight for the dome. The clear surface seemed to open like a living thing, and the shuttle passed through without slowing. Once inside the dome, the buildings looked more like what he'd seen in the purest nation's largest cities towering, hexagonal structures with sides of smooth crystal metal. The tallest buildings, 30 to 40 stories high, seemed to surround Ionath Stadium as if they wanted to peer down and watch the games. Only buildings at the dome center could hit such heights. The buildings farther out grew progressively smaller as the dome sloped down to meet the ground. Quentin saw a huge hoload running down the side of the city's tallest building. A quarterback dropping back for a pass, some words in quith writing. At first he thought it was pine, but the player wore number seven, Itzok's number. Is that who I think it is? Yasud nodded. Yes, indeed. What is that an ad for? Yasud stared for a moment, his lips moving slightly as he sounded out the quith writing. Oh, yep, now I remember. It is an ad for Bombay Gin. Bombay Gin? But it's the biggest ad in the city, and it, it's Itzok. Well, why not pine? Because Itzhak was born here, my friend. The Quith workers, they just love him. And they're the biggest market in any Quith culture because there's so many of them. He doesn't see much playing time, but he makes more endorsement money than anyone else on the team, Pine included. The shuttle dove towards the roof of hexagonal, ten-story building attached to the stadium. Closer into the city, Quentin saw holo ads everywhere. On buildings, on sidewalks, floating above the streets. The innumerable ads gave the city a garish, carnival feel. At least half of those ads featured Kraken's players. Even before the shuttle fully touched down, a pack of Quith workers swarmed out, ready to unload the players' baggage. Quentin and the other rookies stepped off the shuttle into the heat and high humidity of Ionath City. Hokor was waiting for them, already sitting in his damn flying cart. Next to the cart stood a Quith worker wearing a neat blue jacket. Quentin thought the worker looked rather like a bellboy or a doorman at some of the fancier Pyrrhus Nation hotels. This is Miss All the Efficient. He will lead you to the locker room. Suit up and get your worthless asses out on the field. Our scrimmage starts in 30 minutes. 
Remember, in two days at noon, we kick off against the Woo Wall Crawlers. We must win this game. Tomorrow's practice will be a no-contact walkthrough, so today is your last chance to show me what you've got. With that, Hokor's cart lifted up from the roof and flew off the edge, gently descending to the field. Quentin saw the veterans and the other players, just specks from this far, already out on the field. He knew Pine would be down there, probably planning his next humiliating joke. We'll see about that, Pine. We'll just see. An expert from species biology and football, written by Cho Ah Huiti. It is well known that the key are the best linemen in football. While many call me biased, as I am a proud subject of the key empire, I support this claim with facts. First of all, there is the size factor. A key lineman stands on average six feet high vertically, with another six feet reaching back from the vertical body. It is the six-foot-long ground body that provides amazing stability. Six legs support the ground body, giving the key lineman the lowest center of gravity of any species. Because of this, it is very difficult to knock a key lineman to the ground. Then there is the strength factor. In the bench press, a human test of strength that is uniquely suited to measuring football prowess, the average human lineman benches 720 pounds, while the average key lineman benches 1,130 pounds. Quith warriors, the only other species capable of playing on the line, bench around 600 pounds. Humans from heavy G-worlds are becoming more of a factor in the game, yet they average around 900 pounds in the bench press. Clearly, the key is the strongest species in the game. It has been noted repeatedly, that both quith warriors and heavy G humans are faster than key, have better lateral movement and faster reaction time due to their smaller size, mostly because they have less mass to move. These factors make both species excellent linebackers and defensive ends. However, these factors are usually not enough to offset the key's advantage in size and strength. Depending on the offensive scheme, Quith and heavy G humans can make good run blockers. But if you want to throw the ball, you need the pass-blocking prowess of the key species. As for defense, the middle of the line might as well be sovereign territory of the key empire. With massive strength and a low center of gravity, key nose guards and defensive tackles are specialists at shutting down the run. The key are also able to lay devastating hits, due to their gather ability, where they can briefly compact their tubular body from 12 feet to 8 feet and then suddenly expand with violent force. The gather lets them deliver crushing hits anywhere in a 10-foot radius. It is a common technique in tackling as well as in block destruct. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. 
From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Despite his anger, despite his humiliation, Quentin couldn't contain the excitement at stepping onto his first major league football field. He suited up quickly and ran out of the arching gate in the orange end zone. The seats, all 185,000 of them, sat empty. The quiet, massive structure reminded him of the Deliverance Temple in Landing City, built where Mason Stewart's scout craft had first touched down in the new holy soil. That historic moment marked the end of the exodus from earth, where Stuart and his four million surviving followers founded the purest church colony that would grow into the four-planet purest nation. Quentin didn't have to be a convert to appreciate the powerful feeling of awe inspired by Deliverance Temple, just as he suspected someone didn't need to be a football fan to admire Ionath Stadium. He knelt and rubbed his hands over the field's blue surface. At first, he thought it was painted, but up close, he saw that playing surface was made up of densely packed, circular blue leaves, each smaller than his pinky nail. He pushed his hand down, feeling the blue plant give, then lifted his hand and watched it spring back. Yasud knelt next to him. Getting in a quick prayer cue? Quentin smiled. No, just checking out the field. I've never seen this stuff before. It is nice, isn't it? I heard it's actually a plant that's native to Ionath, called Iomet. When they took over the planet, they got some from a plant museum or something like that. Quentin stood and ran a few steps, taking an experimental cut. Good resistance. Not quite as firm as the Carsenji grass I'm used to, but, you know, not bad. The other rookies filed past them, 
drawing their attention back to the task at hand. Hokor sat on the 50-yard line, in his cart, of course, surrounded by Kraken's players. Humans, Quith warriors, Sklorno, and for the first time since he'd arrived, the huge and nightmarish key. The key were packed into two tight balls, each a mass of legs, tubular bodies, and black eyes, like pictures of multi-headed demons Quentin had seen back on Makovi. One of the piles of key players wore black jerseys, for the defense, while the other pile wore orange, for the offense. Pine, Itzhak, and Quentin wore bright red jerseys, the standard football color for designating a do-not-hit player. In two days, we face off against the Woo Wall Crawlers. It's a good start for us, as we know they have trouble with our offensive speed. They also went 2-7 and seven last year, but don't let that fool you into thinking this is an easy game. It's the opening game of the season, and we have to win it if we're going to reach Tier 1 this year. The players gave signs of agreement. Nods from the humans, quith warriors rubbing their petty palps together, unintelligible chirps and lolling tongues from the Sklorno, and the key clacking their arms against their chest. Quentin didn't know how to read the other races, but he could see the commitment in the eyes of the human players. They all wanted to win. They all wanted to reach Tier 1. First team offense, opening series. Quentin jogged to the sidelines. Pine, the arrogant bastard, ran to the huddle with a confident stride. That was Quentin's huddle. He'd get it back, and that was for sure. The ancient quarterback would have to make room for new blood. Quentin stopped when he reached the sidelines and looked at the medical bays behind the bench. Five full bays, like a military field hospital. Rejuve tanks, cabinets that held bandages, surgical equipment, and other things to help Doc and his staff repair damaged players and get them back on the field. Quentin could see just by looking that the med bays were more advanced than anything he'd seen in the Purist Nation, even in a hospital. The bays were a reminder of the speed and strength and violence of the GFL. That and the money involved, because a hurt player was a wasted investment. Patch him up and put him back in. Pine broke the huddle, and the orange jersey offense started on its own 20-yard line. The black jersey defense lined up in a 4-3 set, showing woman-to-woman coverage. Quentin had never seen real GFL football in person, and it was an awesome sight to behold. The key linemen were thick, wide, six-foot-tall obstacles, like little buildings with legs, their spider-like chitinous arms clacking against their chests as they talked to each other in their rhythmic combat language. The quith warrior linebackers bounced in place, one-eyed creatures clad in thick Riddell padding. Sklorno receivers and defensive backs, with thin pads to allow for their pure speed, gracefully flowed from one place to the next, almost as if they had no bones at all. The first play was an off-tackle run by Mitchell Fayed, who even at three-quarter speed hit the hole harder than any PNFL running back Quentin had ever seen. Fayed came through the line, only to be met head-on by Chodo the Bright, the right outside linebacker. With a loud clack of pads, the two players hit hard. Fayed managed two more short steps before Chodo dragged him to the ground. A shiver ran through Quentin's body. Drills were one thing, an important thing, but football is about hitting. And with that first clash of starting offense against starting defense, the season was actually on. 
The veterans had been practicing for months, but for the rookies, this was their first upper-tier contact experience. Pine guided the offense through the first series, mostly running plays, and when he did drop back, he threw short, accurate passes. In his first 20 plays, he threw downfield only twice for one completion. Twice the defense got to Pine, but both times they slowed up before hitting him and just put a hand, or the applicable appendage, on his shoulder. Itzhak came in next, and by his mistakes, highlighted Pine's effectiveness. Hokor started subbing people on both sides of the ball. Yasud Murphy came in for his first full contact reps. When he carried the ball, he ran like a tank, and his ever-present smile vanished, replaced by an expression that might have been more at home in a hand-to-hand ground war. The Sklorno receivers, Denver and Milford, rotated in for several plays. Quentin waited and watched, trying to analyze the defensive weaknesses, and trying, unsuccessfully, to be patient. After an hour of agonized waiting, Coach Hokor finally called for him. Barnes, get in there! Quentin practically sprinted out to the huddle. This is where he'd show Hokor, and the whole team for that matter, why he deserved to start. The offense was now a hodgepodge of first-stringers, second-stringers, and rookies. Denver and Mesquitic stared at him reverently. Yasud smiled, and Warburg nodded. Okay, boys, let's take it to him. Pro 40 right flash, on two, on two. Ready? Break! The players moved quickly from the huddle to the line, and Quentin felt in control for the first time since leaving McCovey. The VR sim was an amazing tool, but this, this was real. Quentin lined up behind the center, Bodoschweck, and suddenly realized he had no idea how to take a snap from a key. Quentin stared at the long tubular body. This close up, Bodo's body looked like a snakeskin caterpillar with thick, multi-jointed spider legs. Pine and Itzhak had made it look so natural, Quentin hadn't even thought about it. Where the hell was he supposed to put his hands? Barnes, what seems to be the difficulty? Quentin looked up at the coach in his little hover cart. Well, coach, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not really sure. John Tweedy roared with laughter. <laughs> Oh, rub me raw! The Hick doesn't know how to take a snap from a key! Laughter erupted on the field. Quentin flushed red. Everyone was laughing. Laughing at him. Even Peter Warburg was laughing at him, damn it. Pine calmly stepped forward. Just like this kid. Pine didn't have a trace of laughter in his voice. Pine squatted down and slid his hands under Bodeschweck's posterior. Quentin now saw that Pine squatted down deeper and reached in farther than he would with a human center and had to stagger his feet a little bit in order to keep his balance. See? It's not so different. Just keep your left foot back a step or so so you can reach in without falling over. Hut hut! Bodeschweck snapped the ball and shot forward, his body expanding quickly and violently. Pine tossed Bodeschweck the ball, then turned to Quentin. Got a kid? Quentin nodded. Pine smiled, slapped him once on the shoulder pad, then jogged back behind the line to stand with Itzhak. If football 101 is over, can we run the damn play? The offensive line formed up again. Quentin staggered his feet as Pine had done and reached far under Bodeschweck. The key's body felt cold and hard. He felt the pebbly skin against the back of his hands. A wave of revulsion tinged with a hint of fear swept through him. He was touching one of them. 
Bodeshwek seemed indifferent. His right front leg curled around the ball, waiting for the snap count. Quentin looked over his center and surveyed the defense. It was like looking straight out into a nightmare. Mayan Ikol and Perayet, the starting key defensive tackles, eyed him with obvious hunger, their black eyes glistening. Key helmets consisted of a clear, circular visor that ran all the way around the head, accommodating for their 360-degree vision. Above the visor, the black helmet pointed back like a dog's claw, protecting the delicate vocal tubes. The two key tackles were flanked by defensive ends Alexander Michnik and Ibrahim Khomeini, both among the biggest humans Quentin had ever seen. They both hailed from Vosser III, a world with gravity three times that of Earth. Once, in school, he'd seen pictures of an extinct creature called a gorilla. The class had been on creation, how all creatures were created as is by the High One. In the Planetary Union, the League of Planets, apparently, they believed that humans had evolved from these gorillas. Quentin had agreed that the idea was absurd, that it was ridiculous to think gorillas had given birth to human babies. But now, looking at the 525-pound Michnik, with arms bigger than Quentin's thighs and legs bigger than Quentin's chest, he suddenly had to wonder what a gorilla looked like if you shaved off all its fur and dressed it in football pads. From the middle linebacker spot, John Tweedy's evil laugh rang through the air. <laughs> well, it looks like we've got it easy now. The rookie here is the answer to score no prayers. The words, eat shit faggot, scrolled across Tweedy's face. At left and right outside linebacker, respectively, Virak the Mean and Chodo the Bright bounced in place. Fast, vicious, powerful one-eyed quith warriors. Sometimes they moved on legs and arms, low to the ground and leaning forward, waiting to attack, and sometimes just on their legs, standing tall and surveying the field. If they blitzed, Quentin knew he'd have to react instantly to avoid their 3.5 speed. The Sklerno defensive backs added yet another horrific element to the defense. Their translucent bodies and black skeletons showing clearly where the black jerseys did not cover. Their armored eye stalks quivered with excitement. He felt a flutter in his stomach, a queasy feeling he'd never experienced before on a football field. He knew the feeling, but vaguely, a distant echo of something he didn't have time to think about. Blue 21! Blue 21! John Tweedy moved forward, his huge frame standing right at the line of scrimmage, in between Mayanichol and Perriette. Here it comes, rookie! Tweedy's face contorted into a mask of psychotic rage. The strange feeling in Quentin's stomach grew in intensity. Was Tweedy just showing blitz, or was he coming for real? Flash, flash, Quentin called out, audibling to his short pattern pass. If Tweedy did blitz, Warburg would likely be open on a crossing route. Hut, hut! The line erupted like nothing Quentin had ever seen or heard. So loud! The clatter of chitin and key battle screeches and human grunts and smashing body armor filled the air like some medieval battle holo. Quentin pushed away from the line and reached the ball back for Yasu to carry, then pulled it away at the last instant as a play-action fake. Quentin moved back four steps, then turned and stood tall, looking for an open receiver. The defensive tackle, Perriette, gripped through the line, 
and move forward like a 650-pound four-armed assassin. Quentin stepped up in the pocket and scrambled to the left to easily avoid the rush, or so he thought. A human defensive tackle would have slipped by, momentum carrying him past as Quentin bounced forward towards the line of scrimmage. But Perriette wasn't human. The key stopped on a dime and turned as his body contracted like an accordion. He expanded suddenly and violently, driving towards Quentin, long body trailing behind like a snake. Perriette's arms reached out much faster and longer than Quentin could have expected in his split-second decision to scramble. The long, thick spider arms flashed out and hauled him in, lifting him off the ground, then driving him to the turf under all of Perriette's weight and momentum. Quentin hit the ground hard. His body armor protected him from cuts and joint injuries, but couldn't do much to guard him from the concussive force of a 650-pound defensive lineman slamming him to the ground. He suffered a second or two of confused blackness. He didn't know where he was. His brain just couldn't process the situation. He'd scrambled like that hundreds of times in his short career, moving past defensive tackles as if they were statues, leaving them behind to gape at his speed and athleticism. No one caught him from behind. No one. He'd been almost 10 yards away from this key, a huge cushion, and the lineman had knocked the living shit out of him. Quite suddenly, Quentin recognized that feeling in his stomach. Fear. The same feeling that ran through his mind and body for every punch in and every punch out. The same fear he'd felt as a small boy when the holy women that ran the orphanage had told stories about the nightmarish key, how they ate humans, how they came in the night to snatch away bad little boys. He hadn't recognized it because he'd never before felt that emotion on a football field. Now the 12-foot-long, multi-armed boogie creature from his childhood nightmares wasn't just real, it was on him, smothering him. Get the fuck off of me! Quentin tried to scramble out from under Perriette. The key's four-jointed arms grabbed Quentin's helmet and held it tight as he moved his face close enough to push against Quentin's face mask. Two of the five black eye spots stared into Quentin's eyes. Perriette's hexagonal mouth opened to expose the triangular black teeth. Quentin didn't understand the alien's words. Perriette pushed off him heavily and moved back to the defensive huddle. Yasud reached down to help Quentin up. He doesn't like you very much. What did he say? He said something to the effect that you'd look good roasting on a spit at his family picnic. Quentin stood, his body emitting a dull throb of complaint. Defensive players weren't supposed to hit quarterbacks, not in practice. He'd just been leveled, and nobody seemed to care. Hokor, for one, wasn't saying anything. Quentin nodded. Now he understood. Oh yeah. Oh, he finally got it. This wasn't just a mind game. He really wasn't going to start. No coach anywhere in the galaxy at any level would let a starting defense hit a starting quarterback. He was just a rookie. And that meant he was fair game. It was going to be a long day. At the end of practice, Hokor gathered the team in the orange end zone. They circled around their little coach in his little cart, 50 tired and bruised players that looked like they'd just been through a battle. 
Good practice today. We only have one more practice before we open the season. I know this is hard on you rookies, but most of you won't see much playing time anyway. That's the nature of the league schedule, and there's nothing we can do about it. Tomorrow's practice is a non-contact run-through. Quentin thought the term run-through was a funny concept because he'd been hit so many times he could hardly walk, let alone run. The first-string defense had had a field day with him, blitzing every down, throwing stunts and overloads and everything else they could think of. The second-string defenders hadn't been any easier, especially Mumakilowi, who attacked every play like he was seeking vengeance on someone who'd killed a member of his family. The rookie key lineman had also delivered the biggest hit of the day, a fucking cheap shot a full two seconds after Quentin had thrown the ball. He wasn't going to be the starter. His battered body told him that as clearly as if Hokor had spelled it out on paper. He'd played poorly, again, throwing three interceptions on 30 plays. He'd also thrown two touchdowns and gone 5 of 13 overall, but three interceptions. It was the damn speed of the game. He, He just couldn't get used to it. The defense came at him so much faster than he'd ever seen, and when he threw the ball, the Scalorno defensive backs broke on it like they'd been reading his mind. He was third string. And right now, that's exactly where he belonged. Prepare well for tomorrow's practice. You're all dismissed. As the players walked off the field, Hokor's cart descended. Barnes, you're throwing behind the receivers. You've got to adjust your throws, and you've got to start getting the ball higher in the air when throwing to wide receivers. Do you forget that Sklorno can jump to catch the ball? No, coach. Well, well, yeah. Yeah, I do forget that sometimes. Well, stop forgetting. If Pine goes down against the wall crawlers, you're not ready to come in. Coach, I am ready. The words were out of his mouth before he could think about it, but they rang hollow to his own ears. All I need is more reps. I'm getting the hang of things. Are you? Fine. Then tell me who is the starting cornerback for the wall crawlers. Quentin was exhausted and didn't want to play this ridiculous trivia game, but he'd answer the questions that were asked of him. Three-year veteran, wall crawlers MVP last year, started for the last two years, 11 interceptions last year. So with 11 interceptions, do we throw to her side of the field? So if we don't throw at her, who is the strong safety? Marlette, five-year starter, has lost an estimated five inches on her vertical leap since leg surgery at the end of last season. Throw high and deep on post patterns. Hokor's pedipalps quivered lightly. That's good. Say it's third and 17. The nickelback comes in. Who are you facing? Quentin started to answer, then had to stop and think. Nickelback for the wall crawlers. Who did they bring in for passing situations? The name finally jumped into his head. That's Oshkosh, coach. And what's her weakness? She, she... Quentin tried to remember the one obscure fact about Oshkosh that could impact the game, but his tired mind... She has fused chitin plates near her hips. They're too near her nervous center for anyone to operate safely. The fused plates greatly limit her ability to turn in midair. So if you throw her area, you throw behind her, where she can't turn to get the ball. Your receivers know this already, and so should you. Now think about that while you start running. Gwen's head dropped. He was exhausted, and he had to run again? Hold on, Barnes. Don't start yet. Mumo Killaway! Masad Hokor's syllables were pure gibberish to Quentin. 
but the giant Lucky Ryman turned and scuttled over to Quentin and Hokor. The key stopped three feet from Quentin. His black eyes burned into him an expression of pure hatred. At least Quentin wanted to think it was hatred, and not the emotion he suspected it might actually be, which was hunger. Hokor barked a few more syllables. Mumakiloe suddenly roared and reared up on his last set of legs, briefly making him a ten-foot-tall, arm-waving monster. Hokor, obviously unimpressed, simply pointed to the ground. Mumakiloe dropped back down to six legs and fell quiet. I have told Mumokiloe he is to be punished for his late hit. Such undisciplined play could have injured you, and someday you could be a valuable component of this team. Therefore, he will run with you until I'm tired of thinking about it. Quentin stared, dumbfounded, at his tiny coach. This thing wanted to kill him, and Hokor wanted the two of them to run laps like they were workout buddies. You've got to be kidding me, coach. This guy's going to come after me as soon as we're alone. He's already tried twice. Then you better learn to communicate with him, and fast. He is, after all, your teammate. Hokor waddled to his cart, hopped in, and flew up to the control room, leaving Quentin and Mumakiloe staring at each other. Quentin shook his head and started to run, but was careful to keep an eye on the young key lineman. Mumakiloe followed suit and ran alongside, staring at Quentin with his unblinking black spider eyes. 53 laps later, Hokor apparently got tired of thinking about it. He called out over the stadium's PA, sending the two rookies to their respective locker rooms. They'd managed to run laps without an incident, much to Quentin's surprise. He pulled off his drenched uniform, each motion an exercise and ache. He was so soaked, he wondered if even the plastic parts of his pads were sweat-logged. Quentin walked to a mirror and stared at himself. He already had discoloring bruises covering most of his right shoulder and chest, as well as darkening spots on both legs. Bruises. He hadn't had any bruises since his rookie season in the PNFL. That was the last time anyone had laid a solid shot on him. The locker room, of course, was empty, except for Masal the Efficient, who busily gathered up Quentin's clothes and pads. Which way is the shower? Masal scrambled to open the first of a row of doors built into the wall. Quentin sighed heavily. Another nanite shower. It just wasn't what he needed. Don't you guys have a water shower here? Yes, sir, we do. Quentin felt a wave of relief wash over him. A real shower. Well, show me where it is. Masal nodded again and started walking. Quentin followed as quickly as his exhausted and battered body would allow. If you'll follow me to the key locker room, sir, I'll be happy to take you there. Quentin stopped dead in his tracks. The key locker room? Are you kidding me? Oh, no, sir. The keeper for running water to nanite cleansing. Well, so do some humans. No, sir. Humans prefer nanite cleansing. Well, not this human, pal. Masal nodded, and Quentin realized his nod was a gesture of subservience, not agreement. Yes, sir, of course. I will take you to the water shower. <sighs> Isn't there one in this locker room? Masal nodded. No, sir. It is in the key locker room. I will happily take you there so that you are satisfied with my service. Quentin hung his head. He was bruised, beaten, and exhausted. But he wasn't that tired. He waved Masal away and dragged himself to the nanite shower. 
Quentin sat in his room, marveling at how much a body could hurt after just one practice. It wasn't enough to stop him from playing. Nothing could hurt that much. But it sure wasn't a walk in the friggin' park, either. Quentin's fingers deftly worked game controls as he guided his players around the holotank. Games were a good way to get his mind off of practice. He didn't know who Madden was, but Madden 2683 was the best damn football sim he'd ever played. His toe pirates were up 22-16 over the Jupiter Jacks in a rematch of Galaxy Bowl 24. Attention, Mitchell Fayette is at your door. Gwen hit pause and limped to the door. Mitchell Fayette stood there, all six foot nine, 350 granite block pounds of him. Good evening, Quentin. Quentin just nodded. Why are you not at second meal? Quentin shrugged. I just wanted to relax after practice. You do not make friends easily with the rest of the team. Quentin didn't know what to say. It was a statement, not a question. It does not matter. I came to say something to you. Fayed paused, as if waiting for permission. Well, go ahead. I have been in Tier 2 for ten years now. Six with the Citadel Aquanauts and four with the Krakens. I have worked all my life to reach Tier 1. That is all I want. Quentin nodded. I came here to tell you that. I hope reaching Tier 1 is important to you as it is to me. If you should take over the quarterback position, I will support you. I think you have talent. I want you to be strong in the first few weeks. I suspect that you have not been hit like this before. Quentin shrugged. Yeah, there were some big hits in the PNFL, you know. And none of them reached you. I have watched holos of all of your games. You are new to this level of hitting, and it will get worse during the games. Far worse. Quentin tried to imagine how he could be hit any harder. Maybe if he crashed a hover sled into a brick wall at 180 miles an hour. Maybe. You will get used to it. You have a big, strong body, like me. I've watched you. You can take the hits. You may not know it yet, but you can take the hits. Be strong. Keep working hard and good things will come. Fayedna nodded once, turned, and walked away. Quentin stared out the door for a few seconds, then returned to his game. Did Fayed want something from him? Why was he being so nice? He didn't know what to make of the guy. Hell, he didn't know what to make of any of his teammates. But did Mitchell, the machine Fayed, believe in him? Quentin shook his head. This had to be something else. Fayed had to have some kind of motive for this. Quentin couldn't trust him. Couldn't trust anyone on this fucking team. A nagging voice in the back of his head reminded him that he hadn't trusted anyone on the Raiders either. Hadn't trusted anyone, anywhere, in a long, long time. He picked up the controller, trying to ignore the pangs of loneliness as he focused on making his toe pirates win Galaxy Bowl 24. You have been listening to The Rookie, book one of the Galactic Football League series. Produced by Ariok Morningstar with post-production by Steve Rickyberg. Written and performed by Scott Sigler. For more information on the author and more free stories, go to scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song The Kids Are Coming For You by the band Superweapon, superweaponband.com. You're trying to say I'm going to be here. The kids are coming for you.
Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.